from that point, I never fully could accept myself. Never felt like I could look at myself in the mirror and like who I saw. In a sense, I had a resentment towards myself. Mental health and addiction are largely misunderstood. We often struggle in silence, but there is hope for a better life. I'm Trevor Steinhauser, and this is Stigmatized. So there are people that come through your life and that you form a special bond with and you come in and out uh, throughout throughout your life and um, that just really touch you. And I'm sitting here with one of those people today. My friend Paul Griever is with us and uh, we're going on 30 years of, of friendship and uh, turns out that we both kind of took a different stories but kind of wound up in the same boat and um he's in town from florida and chose to uh spend some time with me and i'm grateful for that so thanks for being here bro thank you trevor um so we both grew up in the same town we did tight as can be we met i don't know when we met shit we were 13 or something and just one of those things like instantly clicked, man, and just same kind of sense of humor, you know, one of those things where we don't even have to speak and we, it's just automatically, you know, there's that code there and, um, yeah, man, just became the best of friends and, you know, kind of went in and out and, you know, going our separate ways, but always have come back to, um, be there for each other. So, um, I'm grateful for you and I want to just go through the go through the the story and uh even though we were a mile from each other the whole time um things went down differently so tell me about your childhood and growing up and how it was wow thanks for allowing me to be here first of all and thank Absolutely. you for asking me to do this because there was no doubt in my mind i was not going to do this so um you know i just need to you know mention a few things before I get into that childhood sure, and sure. what I went through and what I'm doing today Right, is that, you know, I, I first need to thank my, my higher power. I'm very grateful for the God of my understanding for being clean one more day. And the fact I woke up today is a blessing within itself because, you know, we're not guaranteed tomorrow and we're not fully guaranteed the entire day today. And, I'm truly grateful to be here and you know it's been a it's been a heck of a ride and you know I, I feel like I, I'm, I'm a little late you know it took me 40 almost 42 years to get here and to be able to finally be aware of what who I was or who I was not mm -hmm. and you know what I'm now understanding that I I put myself through a lot you know, and um, it, it's just, I, but you also went through a lot that was not in your control. I agree with that. You know, yes. so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves, but then there's also real shit that happens that, you know, is out of our control and it kind of all, you know, boils up together and it creates a, a shit show basically. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, sitting, sitting across the table from you and looking you in the eyes and I can, you know, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. So Trevor Steinhauser saved Paul Griever's life. Well, Trevor Steinhauser saved Paul Griever's life. You would have done right? it for me. And what, you know, as we went, you know, our separate ways, you know, it all comes back to this moment right here. And I just want to thank you up and down. And there's never, no way I could ever repay you for what you've done for me. And, you know, I, I it's almost surreal that I'm here because we had talked about this quite some time ago when you asked me to be on. And 
and I always kind of visioned myself doing this interview with you. And here we are. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's very surreal. So thank you for this opportunity. Absolutely, and, uh, brother. Yeah, 42, almost 42 years old. And wow, does it go quick, you know? Uh, yeah, grew up in the same town, you know, where everybody knows everybody's name almost. And um, I was- It's a bubble. It's definitely a bubble. And it's weird being back here, but, you know, going back to my childhood, you know, it's there was a there's a lot of fog, and a lot of confusion. Uh, I was adopted into this family. You know, my mom and dad that you know adopted me when I was a newborn, and you know, as time goes on, you know, maybe five years old, my mom tells me that I was adopted, and that was the only time I had ever spoke about it. You know, it was just never something that we talked about at all. You know, she gives, she reads me a book while I was adopted and that was it. And, you know, maybe, maybe two years later, you know, brother being brother who was adopted from another family, you know, not by blood. Older brother. Older brother, three years, three years older than me. He had, you know, he's picking on me and all that, but he had told me that, you know, my real family didn't want me. I was never going to amount to anything. And... I remember plain as day where it was, and I remember the feeling of I, I, I believed him, believed it, right, and that stuck with me my entire life. Up Even until, though that's a big brother just being an asshole, what a shitty thing to say to an impressionable little seven-year-old. Exactly. You know? Yeah. So I, I, I don't hold a grudge against him by any means, but it was just something that was said and something that I believed because I looked up to him, you know, and from that point. I never fully could accept myself. Never felt like I could look at myself in the mirror and like who I saw. You know, I, in a sense, I had a resentment towards myself. I had a resentment towards life. I didn't, I didn't know who I was. I never knew who I was. And even though growing up in a caring family, it was just something that I had kept inside of me my entire life and just feeling so isolated and lonely no matter what I did, where I went. And I didn't fully feel whole. I, I, there was always something missing inside of my, my mind, my body. And, you know, I, I, it was tough to really connect with myself. So throughout life, I had been always, I had a big heart. You know, I cared for, you know, I, I, I was just a caring, caring little kid because I cared what people thought. You know, my brother says that and it stuck with me. So I, had, I wore my heart on my sleeve. And, and, and become, you know, I think a lot of us are people pleasers. Exactly. That's, that's because exactly we want to separate. We don't want to look at ourselves. So we just shower, you know, praise and love on other people. Exactly. So I had, you know, I had gravitated towards anybody and everybody just to feel some kind of love, you know, uh, some kind of acceptance and, you know, just put that smile on my face and try to fit in no matter what. I never was a, I never did anything for myself. I was always a, a, you know, I followed rather than tried to lead my own way, you know, so I never was really, uh, I never could explore my own ways. You know, I was always observant of what other people were doing. So I would follow them just to somewhat feel, you know, a part of something. Mm -hmm. And I was, I would always give, give, give just for them to like me and to be part of that group, you know? And, you know, I, I, I excelled in, you know, sports and, you know, I was always, you know, there were times where I would be playing, playing out back, you know, ball by myself, you know, my dad worked second shift and my mom was a teacher. So she was doing her own thing. And, you know, I was always just always trying to find something to do to not really to get away from myself. Mm -hmm. I was always running from myself no matter what. And, you know, so we, you know, even when, when 
it was like it's probably seventh or eighth grade is when I had my first full beer, I guess you could say, and it tasted like total dog shit. But yet I'm drinking with you know friends up at the park, yeah. And when nobody's looking, you know, pour it out a little bit, you know, pick up a new one. I'm on my second one, on to the third, on to the fourth, and then, you know, embellish the the buzz, right. But then as time goes on, we, you know, it, it excels and, you know, we get older and we start, you know, partying more. And then. And that's where we, that's where we met. Seventh, eighth grade. Exactly. Doing, drinking in the park, doing the same shit together, going to my brother's house, you know, down in Newport. <laughs> and that's the first time I ever drank. And, you know, the, the our soccer crew, I mean, that's where we kind yeah. of started it. Yeah. Know? And then when, when the, when the marijuana comes into play you know that was like oh wow this is this is all right you know laughing your ass off wanting wanting more yeah and then you know it was kind of like a weekend thing and then it just you know one thing leads to another you know then we're off to to college and you know then it's game on you know i wasn't I wasn't happy here, so I started at Northern, and then I went down to down to Lexington for a few years, and that really panned out. <laughs> I came back, and and we lived together for two years. Yeah, yeah. and um, and it was, it was just debauchery. I mean, that's all we did was get fucked up. I mean, period and finished. Oh, but but I got to go. I got to go yeah, back. Yeah, to, yeah, I got to go back. You know, so I and it's so weird how things play out because we were, even though we had different. We had different home experiences. I was the same way. I, I was, I didn't, I, I had no comfort inside of myself whatsoever. And so I think we found each other when we started, you know, we hung out a lot, just the two of us. You yes, know, we, we drove around, you know, we smoked weed, we would have dips, it, but we really connected. But the whole time we're going through the same shit like inside of each other, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, man, could we have, like, what were you thinking driving around? And what was it? You know what I mean? Like, and, and we're both at the same road, but you never knew it. Exactly. You know, but one funny story, and there was a million of them, but I remember 1996 spring break, our senior year, we go down <laughs> to Florida. It was you, me, and another buddy. And we're staying at our Parents had two places, and we got this whole other one. They were in the middle of buying another one before they sold this one. So we oh, had this yeah. place to ourselves, three high school horny <laughs> fucking potheads. You know what I mean? It was just a – it was – yeah, it was a brew for things that weren't good. So anyway, we both buy an ounce of weed. And for those who don't know what that looks like, that is about you know a, a Ziploc sandwich bag full of popcorn. You know, so it's, it is a lot. It's big. So we both get one and we decide because we flew, are we going to fucking do this? You know, so we did not prepare. And it was, I think we, we sealed it up a couple bags, sprayed some cologne on it. And we, all we did was stick it inside of our boxers. That was it. It was up, you know, up against our belt. And we, we go to the airport and we're both shooting our pants and we get behind my dad and we walk through fucking security and we walk through the, you know, the, this is pre nine 11, but you know, we walk <laughs> but, through the security thing and it's like, all right, we're either totally freaking screwed absolutely, or we are going to have a blast. And I go through and there was nothing, there was no dogs, no nothing. I was like, I was looking back at you. I'm like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then you get through and we get through and we get on the plane and we fly down there and it was like, are you? kidding me we get there we pour all this out and we were rolling like eight paper joints they looked like roman candles oh they were enormous yeah yeah so i just i just remember you know the stupid stuff we did but we we did it together and um you know just the insanities of what we would go through just to just to take that with us so we could have a good time and wow you know we were like uh low tier smugglers yeah you know and uh you know that just the you know, it was always the, it always felt good when you get that fresh bag. And then when it starts getting lower and lower and lower, it just, you know, time to re-up, you know? So the, the amount of money that we spent or I spent on, you know, just stupid shit throughout those, all those years. And even up through, 
the when when shit really hit the fan and active addiction really kicked in later on in life it, it's it's unreal you know and you know so let's go back to after yep. so we so we lived together for two years in lexington after lexington after uk what where did you go where did well, life take you it was after you know after you had graduated you came home and that's kind of when we went our own separate ways mm -hmm. and when i transferred back yeah i still you know i still like to to drink on the weekends and you know maybe a few nights throughout the week you know i had to work work two jobs and uh, still go to school so i was still i still had my priorities somewhat intact you know i, I was i wasn't going to give up on school i wanted to get out um, at a reasonable time, you know, eight years later, you know, <laughs> finally, finally get that degree. And you're but, not a doctor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so it, uh, you know, fast forwarding a little bit towards, um, um, when I started playing, I started playing softball and, you know, I had been introduced, uh, one of the teams that I played on over in Covington, there was a guy who, you know, I was I was talking about some pain that I had, and he kind of slid me a couple pills. I didn't know what they were, um, and and I was like, "Wow, these are, these are pretty cool." You know, it feels good. You know, not not drinking, not having the hangover. Let's just chill, relax after a game. And I wasn't I wasn't looking to be uh, a pill head. Mm -hmm. You know, I just uh, it, it felt good. You know, to relax, and then. Moving up a little bit into about, I think it was 2009 is when I had torn torn my ACL playing softball. You know, I was one of those softball guys that just couldn't get enough of softball playing and just living the old glory days, mm -hmm. you know, trying to stay competitive. That was my outlet, you know. Um, it, when when I tore my ACL, I remember laying, I was, this is when I was living with my brother and and I and I look at this this pill bottle, and I, I take one of them, and 15 minutes later, while the Golden Girls are on watching Golden Girls, <laughs> I just start melting back, and I'm like, "Holy shit! This is exactly what I have been looking for my entire life." The escape, the numbing the feelings. I don't have to worry about anything. I can just sit here and just pop these little guys all day you know and i could do this for a living i could do this for the rest of my life if this makes me feel this good nothing made me feel that good than the first time that i took one of those and lo and behold you know they run out and it's kind of depressing you know what am i going to do how am i going to find these and you know i get in touch with um old softball buddy you know and find out that there are more resources around me than I've ever imagined. So it was, it was very easy to find and whenever I wanted it. So it was game on and didn't really overdo it at first, but I had gone through a couple, maybe about a year or two later, I'd gone through a, through a breakup and loneliness you know the, the the depression and all right well let's there's only one way to get cope with this let's start popping them you know on a daily basis you know when i get off of work i'd go home chill get on the couch and just okay everything's good you know everything that i did that day doesn't even matter at this point and you know just like anything else you start doing a lot of it you start building that tolerance and then the insanity of okay, I need more. And then it starts becoming a, a priority. And it went downhill so quickly that I started seeing myself having a problem probably around 2012, 2013. And I had, um, you know, kind of slowed down. I was taking some uh, I was taking some Suboxone. I was able to find that because at that point, you know, I was, you know, if I didn't have anything, I was going to start feeling like shit. So, you know, we'll find that on the street just as easy as anything else. And, uh, you know, I took a little break, stayed on that for a while and met a girl and um, 
you know, I was okay for a little bit, you know, I was, I was content because I, you know, there was another, you know, fill in the void, you know, mm-hmm. having, Outlet. having a, yeah, exactly. And then, um, I had injured myself. You know, I cried. I was telling you about this last night when I cracked my head up on mm, the, yeah. on the, on the door frame. And after that, you know, I, it, it breaks my heart because, you know, I was living a lie when I was with her too. And it eventually caused me to choose my drug of choice over her. And it got so bad where I let her walk away and I didn't want her. I knew I was, I knew I was going downhill. I knew where it was going to take me and I had a choice, you know, but I chose to, to continue to le- continue to use, excuse me. And that's one of the things in life where I would either push people away and make myself feel like the victim. I would let them walk away. I was never able to walk away myself because I wanted to please somebody. And I always wanted, I wanted to look out for other people's best interests as well. You know, so I didn't want to bring her down with me and I didn't want her to, to know that I had a problem. And, you know, I still haven't, I still haven't talked to her since that last time that, you know, I picked up my last belongings and, you know, it's one of the major regrets in my life that I couldn't tell somebody that I needed help, you know, especially her. She didn't, she didn't deserve that. You know, she was a good girl. And, um, so you're, you're addicted to painkillers at this point. Absolutely. Anything and everything that I could get my hands on. Yeah. And, you know, so that that happened, and you know, I wish her well for sure. And um, then after that, then my mom had had her cancer came back, and you know, the only way I could deal with that was take more, you know. And then, you know, she's in a nursing home, into the hospital, into the nursing home, and you know, the only way I could watch her go downhill was to be under the influence of, you know, any kind of medication that I could, I could get. And when it came down to it, you know, the, the night that she was going to uh, pass away, that's when we got the call from the priest and the nursing home. That's when she was going to go. And, and, you know, I'll make this the long story short version. And when she passed, that's when I gave up because my mom was, you know, she was like, she was the one that I was closest to my entire life. And, you know, she always gave me what I wanted. My dad was always the one who provided what the, the necessities, then, you know, what we needed. And so I'd always kind of mooch off my mom. You know, she was, she was the one that always gave me everything. But um, when she passed, I had given up. I had truly given up. But yet I still wanted help you know if i was running low i was always you know foxhole prayers to her because she was always the one that could help me out no matter what and it was tough to to go through that and to not want to live because it was started to gradually my life was going downhill quick and i was so tired of doing everything that i was doing so i you know from all the things that i was all the pills that i was taking i needed something to bring me up so after she had passed, I had been introduced to cocaine. You know, I had done it once or twice before in life, and I never really had that connection to it. But when I hit that first line, being down, and it, it boosted me out of this world. I'm like, oh, there's the perfect remedy. I can, it's a mix. I can take something to t- bring me down. I can get something to bring me up. And then you then I start messing with that 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 equation of that perf- perfect mixture. level yeah, yeah the mixture that's going to you know keep me somewhat presentable and it 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 never it never happened and i kept trying to experiment it wasn't an experiment but it was it was reality that i was hooked that's the insanity without a doubt that things are going to change or we got it under control. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when, and even if I'm at my house and I'm watching TV or throwing darts, <laughs> you 
you know, uh, uh, the, the, the subtle reminders of the, the commercials. Do you have a drug problem? Well, no, I've got everything I need right in front of me. But when it runs out, then, then I've got a problem. Or when my life is going, it's getting so unmanageable that I'm going to fix it when I get my fix. But when I get start feeling good and feeling alive, then I'll just put that off and decide to do something else. You know, it was, I can never, I was losing my, the ability to be a normal human being. You know, my, my, my job was going downhill. You know, I was losing my friends. Wasn't hanging out. I was isolating a lot. I had, you know, I had this dog that walked, walked into my house one day and made herself at home. And about a month later, you know, I found the owner who lived across the street from me and I took her back and they didn't want her back. So I had myself a dog, you know, but that dog saved my life. And, you know, I was getting so bad that I was, I was suicidal many times, many nights where I didn't want to wake up the next day, you know, even though I'm getting a couple hours of sleep a night, you know, I still didn't want to wake up because I didn't want to, you know, have to go through that cycle and that system on a daily basis, which I had to do so I wouldn't be sick. And that's a job of its own. It is. You wake up, where am I going to get it? Who am I going to cheat out of something? You know, who am I going to lie to? I mean, it is work. It is hard work. That was my number one job, you know, getting set up and making that call and making that run over to the west side of Cincinnati pretty much on a daily basis. Which, in, which, in, itself, which in itself in the beginning is fun. It's oh. almost like 50% of it. It's doing the drugs, but out and running and gunning and finding it and cruising. And that's, that's fun too. In the beginning, you know, in the beginning when the, there's the honeymoon is still kind of going. Sure. And, you know, how many times I had considered, you know, you know not holding him to gunpoint, but beating the shit out of him and, and, and taking whatever he had on him and, you know. I mean, it was just, I can remember the smell of this guy getting into my car each time, you know, just that nasty, just gas smelling. I don't even know what the fuck it was, but it, it was crazy. It was absolutely crazy. Why couldn't I just, you know, buy in bulk? Was it because I was getting, I was telling myself that I, this is the last time, this is the last day that I'm going to do this. I'll get better tomorrow. But no, it was, it was a daily routine of making that trip. So coming into work late, you know, another thing is smoking a cigarette on the hour, every hour, leaving a little bit for lunch, making excuses of why I couldn't come back on time, leaving early, just couldn't wait to get where I needed to be to go get it and before you know it, you get home or, you know, if you pull off to the side of the road because you can't wait, you know, that's just, that's, it's just dirty, just a dirty mindset and getting home and, 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 you know, before you know it, it's two three o'clock in the morning, I'm sitting there playing with the shit, you know, drawing art with it. And, and it's like, it's my best friend. I had a passionate relationship with my, with my drugs, you know, I'd, drink a little alcohol every now and then, but I absolutely desired it. I obsessed over it. I compulsed over it. And if I didn't have it, I was sick as shit. And living a lie, you know, it's almost living a double life, you know, because my family didn't know. My friends didn't know. They may have, they may have had an idea. I think some people at work had an idea, but it was either they were scared of me or scared for me. Mm -hmm. And not too many people really wanted to be around me anymore. And I'm walking around with my head down. You know, family's asking me to come over for dinner. And I'm, I got to do this. I got to do that. Show up late. I'm not hungry. You know, I'll take some home. And before I know it, my, my fridge is filled with leftovers that I'm not going to eat. And so, <laughs> my, 
my responsibilities went total downhill and I couldn't, I couldn't fend for myself. So the sad, the, another sad thing is that, you know, all these people, whether I've directly or indirectly pushed them away from me, the only, the only kind of relationship that I could connect with was I had the, the, my kitchen was filled with maggots. That's all I could fucking connect with. I'm talking to them. Like they're my friends. Like, hey, little buddies. <laughs> Haven't done my dishes in days. Week goes by, starts molding up. The only way I'm going to do my dishes is launch them out the back window down into the woods. I'll get new ones. You know, can't even, can't even make it to the toilet to take a piss. I'm going to piss in the sink. It's closer. You know how it, lazy, yeah. how... It turns into a disgusting... It was madness. Life, Yeah, it's madness. And yeah, the paranoia, like everybody knows, geeking out the window, the blinds, you know, waking up. Holy shit, I got to do this again. You look out the window and there's people driving by going to work. Like, well, how are they doing that? But I'm thinking everybody's getting, getting fucked up. Right. And then it's like, you know, when you're... When I'm in a crowd, I'm, I'm I'm alone. But you know, when I'm by myself, it's like everybody's out there doing it. But I'm still isolating to the point where everybody hates me, like everybody knows. Yeah, and then my dog even knows. She's looking at me weird. You know, I'm thinking the FBI is in my dog. Like they tap my dog. And you know, speaking of her, I mean, she she saved my life. You know, talk about that. You know, one of the, you know, I either had a, either had a gun in my mouth against my head, or one that's ready to go on the table. And one of the last days that, uh, you know, I was given up. You know, I'm just like, all right, this is it. I'm gonna end my life right now, right here. I caused so much destruction and so much guilt. For living that lie and you know I'm just sitting there and and she walks in and sits down in front of me and just kind of like leans her head side to side like that confusing dog look you know and all I hear is what are you doing I'm like it freaked the shit out of me like okay maybe that <laughs> maybe I do need to surrender in a different way because you know mom's gone you know brother's out there he's an alcoholic poor dad you know just sad mm -hmm. just so she um, gave you a look that she's never given you that was kind of the gist of doubt. it just sat right in front of me like 10 feet away and just looked at me and just like a like pushed a sense of hope into my life. You know, like, what am I doing? I need help. I need some serious help. But I can't tell somebody that I'm suicidal because then I'm crazy. I'm going to go to a psych ward, which I should have been in. Um, but it just, it got to the point where, all right, I got to keep doing this. I got to keep, keep running and gunning. And... So, so, t so talk about, get, get down to, you know, when it was, how things kind of unraveled. Yeah. And, and what broke the camel's back. It was, you know, I was tired. I was drained. I was broken spiritually, mentally, financially. You know, I started pawning shit and, you know, manipulating family. You know, and, and I, I, I try to forgive myself, but there's, man, it just, it was hard. I was living in a nightmare that I thought I was never going to get out of. And who do I turn to for help? My mom, who's not 
physically on this earth. You know, a, a God that I turned my cheek against because he took my mom. But did he take her? I mean, you know, everybody has their time. But I don't know when it was, but I had reached out to you to, to play golf. And, you know, I was I was going through a foreclosure. And I, I don't think I was necessarily wanting to reveal and disclose what I was fully going through when we met. And I had told you about, you know, the foreclosure. And obviously I told you about this, the suicidal um, <laughs> acts. That I, I and I to. hadn't seen you in ages. And when you got out of that car, we met in the parking lot. Because you, you are a large, in shape, jacked up human being. And what I saw come out of that car was just a gray, frail, skinny, sad human being. Beaten. So, so I knew immediately that something was up, you know? Yeah. So anyway. Well, thank you. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean. Yeah, but. Um, and you're now back to the person that I remember. So it's awesome. Well, thank you. And, you know, being on that course that day and when you had, we talked about this last night that, you know, you had told me that you weren't going to tell anybody, but you're going to make a couple phone calls to get me out of it. And I was thinking, okay, he's going to get me out of the foreclosure. Stein's going to buck up. He's going to get me out of that. So maybe I can continue, you know, what I was doing. And that expect that's that's an insane expectation right there, you know, selling myself to believe that, okay, I'm gonna continue this, but yet I'm still I'm hurting so bad that I down deep inside I know I need more help than just financial help. And that next day I go to work and I get a call from one of the presidents of the company and he says, come up to the conference room to, you know, he asks a couple questions about some things that, you know, about our department. And I go up there and there sits three people who, why are these three individuals sitting in this room when they're, they have no really, they, they don't have much, well, one of them has control, but long story short, I'm thinking what's going on here. And uh, he opens up and he says, "You know, there's no, there's no doubt that we're we're concerned with your health. You know, you're you're. There's no doubt that people know that you're, you know, you're a pill popper." And he turns it over to the gentleman that you had called, <laughs> and he mentioned your name. And that moment when I heard Trevor. It absolutely 100% took every emotion that I've ever felt in my life, even excitement, that it made me shrink down to, I just wanted to just curl up and die right then and there. And that is the, the toughest love that I have ever experienced from anybody. Because if it wasn't for you making that phone call, there's no way I'm here today. If I don't make that call to set up that golf, that day of golf with you, I wouldn't be here. There's no, there's no doubt in my mind. And so what had happened was, you know, I'm, I'm still kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm sugarcoating my situation. Um, it's all, it's, you know, it's already out there in the open. Now everybody knows, you know, thinking everybody's going to, you know, shun me, but they, they wanted me to get help. So two of them wanted me to, you know, just cut the cord right then and there and go to, go to a detox or, you know, go, go get help, you know, treatment. And the other one suggested go get assessed. And I, I chose that, you know, okay, maybe I can kind of do this on my own. I'll go get assessed. And I never got assessed. I sat on my ass for about a month. And then so um, Sunday, I think it was a Sunday morning where I looked out my window and there you sit on your on the trunk of your car. I'm like, what the fuck is he doing here? Like, just go away. 
you, you had sent me a text saying, I'm not leaving until you come out here. And when I went out there in the, in the second round of tough love that you've ever given me, the tears in your eyes and the, and just begging and pleading to go get help. I'll never forget that. And part of me wanted to say, nah, you know, I'm okay, but I'm not okay. And, and I agreed to go back in there to my work and, and shoot an email and apologize for sitting on my ass for so long and that I needed help. And then I go in the next day and I shoot that email and no response. And, um, yeah, there's another chance to get help down the drain. Fuck it. I'm done. I'm going to kill myself again. I'm going to try to let's do it this time, man. There's no hope. None. It's over. So I'm walking through the hallway one day and, and I'm like, this is my day that I'm going to take my own life. Heads down. And one of the, the guy that you called comes around the corner, takes me outside and says, they're going to let you go. And I'm thinking I'm getting fired right there on the spot. And he says, no, they're going to let you go. This is your one and only chance to hang it up. So I made the decision. It was a hard, one of the hardest things I had to do was to, to make some calls to some treatment centers. And, you know, I wanted to stay around this, this area, but I knew that it probably was better just to, you know, let's go to, let's go to South Florida. And, you know, that the opportunity could present itself to transfer my job because we have an office down there. And before I know it, I'm on a flight. Well, you had you had taken me to the airport, and thanks again for that ride. It was very very fuzzy that day, and I remember flying into West Palm, and it was just the I was coming down, and it was it was torrential downpours, and this guy picks me up in this stretch Mercedes Benz, blacked out. I'm like, oh shit, what's this all about? You know, feeling like I'm in a movie, and. We get in the car, or I get in the car, and he, we drive off, and he says, we're taking you to a detox. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm going to detox, which wasn't that bad except for the first night. And, you know, when I walked into that, that detox, it felt like I was in the right place. You know, I'd made the right decision. And I remember seeing a sign that said, get comfortable being uncomfortable. I was like, all right. Maybe I can breathe a little bit, but that first night sucked, you know, withdrawals and all that. And then, you know, I'm, I'm not promoting treatment or, you know, any kind of IOP or any of that, but that's just what I did. You know, that was, uh, you know, I'm very grateful that I took that path and, you know, that my, my clean date is, you know, I should have, you know, said this before, but it's August 13th, 2016. So it's, you know, three years, five months. Three and a half years. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. <clears throat> Fucking that I haven't had a, um, a drink or a drug and. I can tell you that it just takes one one choice, one strong choice to make to make a difference in your life. And if you would have told me three three years, five months and four days ago that I'd be sitting here talking to you behind a microphone, I'd say you're full of shit. <laughs> no doubt. And and my life has changed so much over the course of you know, the past three three almost three and a half years. And, you know, the, the hardest thing that I had to do in, in recovery is three months in, I am getting a, um, I had, I'd given my brother a call on his birthday. And so I'm three months, I'm almost three months into being clean, feeling great, excited about life, riding this pink cloud that they talk about. Mm -hmm. And somebody had said, well, be careful, you know, don't ride that pink cloud too too long because you're eventually going to get hit in the gut with something. And I'm like, nah, nah, this is not going away. I'm too, you know, I'm going home in a month. I'm going to show my face. I'm, I'm tan. I'm, you know, getting some, some strength back. I got some confidence. I'm on cloud nine. And then I talked to my brother on his birthday and, you know, we had told each other we loved each other for the first time. And, how he was proud of me 
and he wanted to come down. And, you know, I had planned on going home that next month and talking to him just man to man and just say, hey, because he had his he had his demons, too. You know, he was going through some alcohol problems. And, um, you know, that next day. I had a call the next night, I should say, from my dad about midnight. And I'm like, I woke up that Saturday morning and I was going to a meeting and I'm thinking, what the fuck is my dad doing calling me? And I immediately thought of John. I'm like, I'll call, I'll call my dad when I get out of this meeting. And by the time I got out of that meeting, it was a 7, 7 a.m. meeting, and I get out and I had a text from your brother. I said, did you hear about John? I'm like, oh, fuck. Thought he got into a car wreck, thought he got beat up, jumped. DUI, something, and I, I'm like, I'll just call Tyler. I called Tyler, and I said, hey, man, just, you know, before before you say anything, just tell me he's not dead. He's like, yeah, he, he died last night, and, uh, you know. <laughs> it fucking hurt. It still hurts, because I want to. I wanted so much for him and, you know, mom gone, John gone, you know, he's got four kids and you know, there's my dad and I'm, I'm lost again. There's that punch to the gut and, you know, waiting a week, week and a half or whatever it was to come up here and. You know, I had to put on a mask. There's that mask I'd always been so proud to put on that, you know, I'm I'm still, I'm okay. I tried my best and, you know, trying to make, trying to lift people up at his service or whatever it was. And, man, it, it just, my poor dad. Yeah, put him through so much, and I don't oh, love but, him to death. I mean, the, the and I went through the same thing. But the, the opportunity to piss it all away—if there was ever one—that was it. You know, that was a, a shitty, the, the worst situation. But I mean, you've been tested in your life multiple times, but that was a big one. 90 days in, catastrophe, you know, and, and you could have, you could have said fuck it all, you know, and you didn't, which, I mean, I, I give you so much, so many props for that, man, because that is just, that is recovery, buddy. That is what recovery can do for a human being. So at that, at that point, when I come up, I'm thinking, is this my, do I need to come back? Is this the sign that? You know, I need to come back and be the uncle that I was not because I was so absent from being in their lives. Even though I lived with them, I was I was physically there, but I was mentally off doing whatever I needed to do just to feel good. Mm -hmm. And I had really, really taken a strong, hard look at what I was potentially coming back to, not only family situation but what i just got out of that system that dark system and i i i need some, i need to do some more work on myself and i still need to do work on myself to this day i'm 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 not cured i will never be cured i will always be an addict i was an addict yesterday i'm an addict today and i'll always be and i'll and i'll be an addict tomorrow because i you know when i start something i i, I don't want to stop you know it's like going to the gym um Bad like stuff it, or good stuff. Bad stuff, exactly. And I just, I'm always trying to, and I think we all have some some kind of addiction. You know, we all want to feel good in some way, whether that's, you know, gambling, food, sex. Work. Work, anything to feel good, to make yourself feel good. And it, it, if you can, you know, set a boundary and realize that, you know, what is, am I doing, what am I doing here? You know, am I, am I, am I making that a priority or am I making that a priority over the option of, you know, being with a loved one 
or being with your family. It's like that, that the, the thing that really stands out to me is that, you know, we all want to be loved. You know, nobody wants to be alone. And, you know, the material items that I see people chasing, you know, I live in, in a pretty wealthy town. You know, I'm seeing all these nice cars, these mansions, and, you know, I go to the beach every every morning and I'm seeing these houses and, you know, I'm like, I wonder how many of those people are truly happy, you know, and yeah, it all, it all seems nice and it looks great on the outside, but you know, when, you know, it's like when you start comparing yourself, you know, from your, with your inside to what somebody else has on the outside, that's when shit can get pretty, pretty hectic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, here I am. A, but what a decision to make. Because the you know the old saying is, we're s- selfish human beings in addiction. Exactly. But we have to be even more selfish in recovery. Without a doubt, without a doubt. And you know a prime example of that is, um, you know, the, the setting boundaries and being able to say no. Because I was always a yes man. I'll do anything for anyone at any point in time, and I still will. But. In moderation, because I'm not going to jeopardize my re- my recovery just to help somebody and go crazy and and put somebody in more in front of me than I am myself. And I told you about that last night mm-hmm. with the old gentleman that I I started taking care of. I was you know basically a caretaker for this guy, and you know he he helped me as much as I helped him, and I feel like I helped him. You know, and I don't want to keep score, right? But it got to the point where. I was helping him more than I was helping myself. I had put my recovery on hold, you know, not not putting it on hold, but I wasn't going to as much meetings. I wasn't exerting myself. I wasn't getting vigilant in, you know, uh, doing the, the work. step work. Yeah. Even though I'd already completed that first round, you know, it felt good, but it never stops. You know, I have to continue that no matter what. And... um. Yeah, so so I, I I was getting very uneasy with myself that I'm helping somebody else more than I'm helping me, you know. Selfless, doing that, but now hey, let's get selfish. Mm-hmm. And you know the 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 bound it just it's so amazing what life can do when you give up a substance that was controlling my life. Now I I can take more responsibility responsibility for what for what my actions are and you know given being able to walk away from a relationship down there just this past it was in august and then you know i had still smoked and i gave up that cigarettes cigarettes yeah excuse me thank you for correcting that and believe me the 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 stopping cigarettes was harder than it was giving up the drugs and the alcohol. Tobacco's a mother. It absolutely made me into a raging lunatic. And talk about being angry. Well, I'm not an angry guy. You know, my patience level was nothing. You know, if you're talking to me, if you're shaking your head or you're talking anything, I don't give a shit what you're saying to me. Get the fuck out of my face. I, I would deflect and I would, you know, exit. You know, that exit strategy that we were always good at, you mm-hmm. know, but it's just the tools that I've learned, you know, I, you know, my sponsor who's going through a, a health condition and, and man, it's, you can't do it alone. No matter what, you can't do it alone. And if anybody out there, you know, I, I just, I hope that I can touch some, just one person through this, this interview. Just one person, you know, if nobody else is entertained or, you know, connected to it, that's, that's, that's okay too. But, you know, just to give, give yourself a break, man, we all, we all deserve a chance to be a human being, no matter what kind of background we, we grew up in, because I'm no different than a homeless person down on, you know, the corner of downtown Cincinnati looking for a fix willing to panhandle or, or, you know, you know, um, fuck somebody over just to get that. I'm no different. And, you know, we're, we're very fortunate in, in how we were 
in the families that we were brought up in. And even though I had always compared, you know, other families, how they were, you know, raising or how they were interacting with, you know, their kids or, you know, my friends, you know, with their parents, you know, I was always looking for something different than I had. Right. You know, and I'm, I'm, if it wasn't for my mom and dad that, that raised me, who knows? I, who knows? I mean, they, they did one hell of a job. I love them just up and down all around. Like they, they provided, you know, so much like my, it's just, I, I see it now, you know, I, I, I found love where it wasn't supposed to be. And it's right in front of me the whole fucking time. And how, how selfish I was to misunderstand where I came from and who I was. And now, you know, being almost 42 years old kind of connects to what you, what you said in one of your articles, you know, you met yourself for the first time. I met myself for the first time just a few years ago. I'm, I'm like a three and a half year old. Mm -hmm. All this is brand new to me because my whole life was misguided by a cloud of irrational thoughts of total fantasy, you know, by, you know, getting in recovery, you know, they say the life of your wildest dreams, you know, my wildest dreams was a yacht, a bunch of cocaine and a bunch of women, you know, <laughs> let's float around and, and party all day. That was, right. but my life today is, is absolutely, I, I, yeah, I go through some tough times. I get depressed. I have a bad day, but I can't imagine putting a substance in my body just to make myself feel good. Because I've had work. a bad that's day. the skills yeah. that you learn to to grind it out, man. For and, sure. And, and push through the waves. And yeah, man, it's just, it's such a testament to, you know, it's the hardest thing mm -hmm. a human being will ever go through. And of course, I'm a little biased, but people that have gone through this, it is hard to I become agree. sober. I agree. No, no, it, it, and not only, you know, it, it, spiritual and believing in yourself and loving yourself, meanwhile, trying to get over uh, something that took over your life. So that we are lucky. We're the lucky ones. And doing things like this and helping people and sponsoring people, um, the stuff that you're doing down in Florida, it paying it forward, you know? I mean, mm -hmm. it's like, that's what it's all about, man. And, uh, I'm proud of you, brother. I love you to death. And uh, so leave us with how you're feeling now and, and outlook. And Wow. I mean, I, I can't believe time's already up. You know, please have me back. I mean, we can talk about. Oh, we'll every, have a, we, we can we have could, a part two. For sure. <laughs> and I feel like there, there's so much that I, I wanted to say that I didn't get a chance to. And um, well, we'll do. This will be the first part two that we do. Yeah. But um, it, I feel I'm relieved that I got through this, you know, because I was nervous. I was anxious. You did but, great. Well, thank you. Likewise. But I am, I, I'm going through a, you know, I have neck and back issues. You know, what a perfect opportunity to pop a bunch of pain pills. I decide not to. You know, I, I get... I get these, you know, cortisone shots in my neck and my back. You know, I've, I've, I did some damage to my body, but I, I still, you know, the another insanity is that I still kick the shit out of myself at the gym. You know, I can't stop. You know, I pay for it. But other than that, it's I, I'm truly blessed for this opportunity. You know, because tomorrow may not happen. Um, if if anybody out there is is suffering and listening to this, and I don't want it to sound like a cliche, but if I can do it, there's no reason you can't. Because I was the most broke. I mean, for me, you right. know, <laughs> I can be, sympathize and empathize with everybody else that's suffering, but in our own way, that just talk to somebody. Just talk to somebody, and even if you just give a little bit of a hint somebody you might trust or care about that might be the moment where your life changes forever because there's hope man there's a lot of hope
Yeah. And I, I can't believe it's been three, almost three and a half years since, you know, and we just have to continue no matter what. And, and just there, there's, I think there's a lack of compassion when it comes to the, the stigma, mm-hmm. you know? And I think if people open up and try to understand that, you know, we're all human, we're all going to make mistakes, you know, just because I did, just because I was hooked on something that wouldn't let me go doesn't mean I was a bad person. Doesn't mean I'm a bad person today. It just means I'm, I made some pretty shitty decisions to continue something that made me feel good, which eventually took me down to the bottom of the barrel. And if it doesn't end bad, it's never going to end. But it became, but at some point it turns into, it's not a decision anymore. You know, it's not. made shitty decisions, but we, you did not choose to be popping fucking pills all day and sitting there contemplating taking your own life. I mean, nobody would ever want to fucking do that, you know? So, I mean, it is things take over and we have an allergy and it's okay, you know, and we got through it. And like you said, though, we're always going to get through it. We are never, ever going to say, I used to be an alcoholic. I used to be addicted to drugs. You know, I mean, it's, we're always going to work on it every day of our lives forever, you know, cause it could, it's waiting to creep up on us in a heartbeat. So, well, thanks for doing this brother. Um, you're welcome. You mean Thank the you. world to me and, uh, we just got to keep cranking and we'll, uh, we'll have you back and we'll, we'll talk some more. Definitely. Sounds good. Thanks for listening. I want to thank everyone that makes this show possible. Production by Gwen Sound, artwork by Neltner Smallbatch, and photography by John Willis and Lindsay Steinhauser. Please subscribe, rate, and write a review. Visit our website for more information at stigmatizedpodcast.com.